Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. All right, so welcome back to the Talking Hockey Podcast. We have a great podcast here episode for you guys here today. We're going to be breaking down the top 10 prospects in the NHL draft, and we have your very special guest. We have uh, Rachel Dory, who's um, a scout for Elite Prospects. She's worked with the Devils before. Um, she's done a bunch of other stuff that we're going to kind of get into. So uh, first off, how are you doing, Rachel? And uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I rarely get to talk draft stuff, so I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I'm doing well. I mean, I guess circumstances. How's everyone doing? Everyone staying safe? Yep. Uh, tr- trying to. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately. <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we kind of wanted to start off the podcast, just kind of getting to know you a little bit, because I think you have a really interesting story. Uh, you've worked with the Devils before, so we haven't had anyone on the podcast yet that's actually worked for an NHL team. So I think that story is going to be interesting. But uh, first, we kind of wanted just to start off with uh, your start into hockey and how you got into hockey and all that kind of stuff. So uh, take it away. Like as a okay, so as a child, or how did I get nah, to start working in hockey? Let's let's start as a child and work your way forward. Not not too oh. long, not not too long in the childhood though. <laughs> yeah, like I would say, um, I was actually I was born um, the day the Corel Center opened. So and mm-hmm. like my parents kind of put me in a Leafs jumper. That was like the first thing I had. So I was kind of born into hockey. And then um, started watching the Leafs, fell in love with Mike Johnson for whatever reason. Um, (laughs) Then he got traded, boycotted the Leafs for a bit. Then I met Matt Sundin one day and I was like, okay, we're we're back. It's good. (laughs) Um, And ever since then, like I've always been a math nerd. So statistics were always like a super um, interesting thing for me. And I used to like buy books and, and memorize things. And I've got this gift of this memory that is rather silly um and so just kind of I actually didn't really play hockey growing up until I was about like 13 um like I played it with friends but like not competitively because I was a gymnast um but Mm -hmm. I used to watch hockey like all the time that was what we did in my family um that and soccer um but then kind of um just sort of really fell in love with the statistics side and the video like just breaking things down Um, And I would do that as a player too. So I decided uh, I'll go to school for sports business, try and get in with the OHL team. So I did, and I was their video coach. And I'm forever grateful that um, they gave me that opportunity. And from there, I just kind of started learning like the the statistics side of the game and and taking some courses um, with that. Um, The athletics sort of just like picked me up um, because 
they saw my writing. Um, and I wrote this article um, about the New Jersey Devils one day. And I think like a week later, um, I had an email from Ray Shiro. And I was A, curious, Incredible. first of all, how the heck did you get my email? Uh, <laughs> second of all, is this real life? And like third, um, what do you want? And so um, I still actually have that email somewhere. Um, just super surreal. And I got flown to New Jersey three days later and was hired Christmas Eve. So it's like a whirlwind. I flew down, um, kind of shadowed for a day, watched the Blackhawks game against the Devils. And then um, like, I think it was like 12.06 on Christmas Eve, um, I agreed to become a part of their front office. And that's, yeah. That's an amazing story. <laughs> it sounds like kind of like a whirlwind there where everything just happened all at once, kind of basically, right? Yeah, like I had interviewed. <laughs> I, I had actually interviewed with the Leafs earlier in 2017. I was at development camp on the ice, like got to develop a relationship with now the head coach of the Leafs, Sheldon Keith. Um, and so that was like a ton of fun. And Jack Han ended up getting that job. It was the job that him and I were up for. Um, and I kind of just went back into writing after that, and that's where um, the Devils found me. So it was it was. Yeah, that I would say like the back half of 2017 was uh, definitely a, a whirlwind for me. Yeah, that's incredible. So what was your actual job with the Devils and what did your work revolve around? You mentioned how you're really big into uh, stats, statistics, and analytics, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of what our page has focused on over the last year and a bit. So uh, what was your kind of job there and what did what did you uh, get to do? Um, so they hired me for this like new department that they were starting. And, um, I guess from like what I can, I guess say, um, they were having issues like communicating some of the numbers, like, and getting the coaching staff and management kind of like on board with it. And the people that they had, like, didn't have, um, they had like one person had like stuff with numbers because they didn't have a hockey background. Another person had just like a strictly hockey background. And then there was kind of me who had both. And so um, I kind of handled a lot. Um, Anything that had to do with player reporting. So whether it was like scouting uh, reports or making sure that pro or amateur scouts reporting and doing projects for them. And then, it kind of got to a point where like John Hines would literally just call me and be like, I need you to look into this and <laughs> hang up the phone. And I was like, uh, okay. And so there would be various things that I would use some of the in-house tools that we had, whether it was like sport logic or um, any of the internal reporting that we had to answer some of the questions that the coaching staff, whether it was John or Elaine Nezardine or Jeff Ward or Roly Melanson, I did a lot of work for the goalie coach um, that year. And it was kind of anything that had to do with either player or statistics, um, trade deadline preparation, draft prep, like all of that was basically done by our department. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my job to make sure that uh, whatever numbers we were presenting, whether I was presenting it to a specific player or to a coach, um, that they were digestible and understandable and able to be acted on. So it was kind of my job basically to turn math into hockey. Um, that, so that's like that's awesome. So, so in your experience, I guess, obviously you probably can't go into specifics, but how did players kind of react to your approach of meshing kind of, you know, real hockey that, you know, they understand and they know with the numbers, with the analytics? How did players kind of react to that? Did they take it in very well? Um, all, all that kind of stuff, because I find that very fascinating. There's a couple uh, NHL players that actually follow our page and they um, and they follow all of our stories where we I go through all the analytics, I go through... Uh, different types, whatever, whether it's the microstats that sites like Sport Logic uh, show or, you know, Evolving Hockey and the, their Gar War, Rapham, all that kind of stuff. Um, so how, how did players kind of take your approach to uh, helping them understand the analytics and the number side of things? There's definitely, um, there were definitely a few that uh, you could tell kind of um, really took to it. Like they were always really interested and like I would hear from the coaching staff, like that players are asking questions and they wanted me to look into things like that. And um, turns out that uh, the guy who won the heart trophy that year really took a liking to the things that I was doing. And so 
um, that was kind of fulfilling to uh, to be a part of that and just to see him have just this incredible amount of success. Um, but yeah, like there were some players that would really, uh, really on board with it. And then there were others that like not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with the coaches. But although I would say like the coaches, it was more if they liked what they saw and they liked how I presented it, if it made sense to them, um, then they would be more apt to use it. But then there were some times where I was like, okay, like this is kind of what's what the deal is. And they were like, well, my gut says this. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go tell an NHL coach like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> Like, that's just how you get fired. So don't yeah. do that. Um, but I would say, like, everyone was pretty open-minded for the most part, which is nice. How, how much does it grind your gears when you see, like, uh, people on Instagram or Twitter, the people that are, like, non-believers in advanced statistics, and they basically just trash it? How, like, does that, like, irk your soul? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I will say this. There are two ends of hockey Twitter, and both piss me off to <laughs> an unending degree. Because the people that are like, no numbers and too bad, and I, my hockey brain says this. Okay, well, you're just close-minded, and that's being silly. And then there are other people who legitimately do not watch the games that are like, well, my fancy number thingy says this. I'm like, okay, but you've actually never picked up a hockey stick in your life. So you don't know how the flow of the game works. And now you're saying your stuff is correct because math, even though you have no idea how to apply it in a game. So you also (laughs) shut the hell up. So I think you need, you need people in the middle. And Ian and I talk about this on the podcast all the time. Analytics and fancy number thingies are a tool and your eyeballs are a tool and your intuition is a tool. You're not going to build a house with only one tool. That would be really stupid. Mm-hmm. And you're also probably just shouldn't be building a hockey team with only one tool. Like you can't just use your eyes or your intuition or both, whatever. Like if there's a tool available, you need to be open to using it because if you're not, there's a potential that you're not maximizing the value that you could be getting. So for me, when I see people that are too much on the eyeball intuition good tough cowboy nonsense and then i see other people that are on like my formula says this therefore it is correct and i see this with the draft all the time i'm like the both both of your sides are wrong first of all and please shut up because you are pushing the people on the other side even further away so then you have people you have people like Ray Ferraro and Mike Johnson and AJ Malechko and like a bunch of people in media, um, Mike Kelly. Who yeah, I was going to say Mike up. Kelly is one of my favorite guys that, that breaks down the numbers and breaks down the video both together really well. I think he's probably one of the best out there when it comes to that. Yeah, and I try to like, emulate it as much as shot. I can. Yeah, and he's, yeah, a, he's the, amazing think, with it too. I think Mike Kelly's a bit different. Like when you have guys or women who have played the hashtag played the game, they are way more likely to get the ball rolling in the right direction. So when Ray Ferraro and Mike Johnson and Steve Valaket all say that numbers have value and they're implementing it in their broadcasts and they're referring to it, that gets the old crusty people <laughs> to actually put some stock into it. Because if these quote unquote hockey men, because that's what they are, are using them. Men. Exactly. I wouldn't put Ray and Mike in the 200 hockey men because that's very not necessary and very not nice to them. They deserve, they don't deserve (laughs) that. They deserve better than that. Um, And so I think that when they are trying to push the ball forward and they're listening to people like Mike Kelly or like Micah McCurdy and they're bringing their stuff forward, like that's positive for the game. Yeah. What I will say is what I really like about your podcast, the Intellic is you guys do a very good job of breaking down the difference between what the numbers say and what, you know, the eye, eye test says. So I think, you know, Ian's a little bit more analytics, numbers focused, just from what I've heard from what you guys talk about. And you're a little bit more on the eye test side, I think, uh, generally speaking. But you guys have a really good mix in that sense of breaking down, okay, so this player has really good whatever numbers, and but the eye test is saying this. And you guys kind of mesh the two together really well, which I really like. Um, then there's guys like Jack Hahn, who are also really great. Um, he has his new newsletter out where he uh, – breaks down different players he had a recent article on Seth Jones and why Seth Jones isn't as great as everyone says he is 
um, a recent article on Drew Doughty and why the numbers think he's so bad versus, you know, the eye test and why we, when you still watch Drew Doughty, he still looks like an extremely skilled player. So those types of people are really good for the game, I think. Yeah, like I, I totally agree. And I, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have a pretty good friendship with most of these people. Um, and so just being able to talk about the game and, and share ideas, it allows the game to move forward because the more you do it, the more it becomes natural and the more natural we can make statistics, the more it becomes normalized and then people will not be uh, as afraid to use it. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE, all caps. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, for sure. Can I just, can I just say something? Uh, can you, can I Ty, you don't here? need to ask yeah. permission. To right. say it. <laughs> He's like raising his hand. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Notice me. Um, <laughs> uh, enough about stats, because me and Eric debate about this all the time. But yes. uh, can we uh, talk some prospects? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, actually. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to start off with talking about Bob McKenzie's rankings. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, but there was a huge uproar on Twitter. Did, I had I'm a thread. Not... <laughs> yeah, I, I know. So I, I, why, I, I read your thread, which is why I kind of wanted to bring it up. So I kind of wanted to just hear your thoughts about it, not just your thoughts on the the rankings themselves, but on people's reactions to the rankings. I'd love to hear you go off and rant about it, please. <laughs> okay, so I think a lot of people, even though Bob says this, so like if anyone just actually, I don't know, listened, um, they would know You're expecting that too much from people. <laughs> already, I'm like, we're out. But you went too far already. Listened, <laughs> Do not expect people to listen. Bob talk. Bob is the single most connected person in hockey, bar none. That's why he's the Bob father. There is no one that even is in the shadow. Like he's. Uh, by himself and bob speaks to scouts executives people and gets their feel on things he puts out polls and voting and does a bunch of various things to get people's opinions on prospects and from that he gets a consensus to make the rankings and what the rankings are basically consolidated consensus ranking of what people in the nhl are thinking these are not bob's rankings (laughs) However, some people say, oh, yes, Bob makes these rankings. Bob does not go to the hockey games. He's not ranking anything. <laughs> so that let's start there. Oh, I, ha- <laughs> I saw this list and I was very concerned, but not even remotely surprised, mainly because I have seen scouting reports that NHL uh, scouts have written and I have seen um, from other teams and just – heard scouts talk because i've been at scouting meetings i've been at the draft and um it is very concerning some of the things that i hear and read and see um (laughs) we'll just say that and so was i surprised to see some of the names on that list no unfortunately i wasn't um (laughs) i personally my biggest grievance with the entire list um, and it wasn't even the list. It was like the commentary surrounding it. Someone who is employed by an NHL team has Marco Rossi ranked 18th. Yeah, I, I have. That. That Ty, Ty is, was not happy with that. No. <laughs> that is a level of mental gymnastics as a former gymnast that like I cannot even comprehend. I don't know how you think there are 17 better players than Marco Rossi, but like, please, you're, the floor is yours. Explain. But then you talk about reactions and I, I, I can't remember the last time um, 
And I think the pandemic is probably has something to do with this is a lot of people are overreacting about a lot of like random nonsense that there shouldn't be. No, that, that's just Twitter. On. That's just Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is a cesspool. Um, <laughs> but like some of the reactions, I I heard some of the reactions like in the industry as well. Mm-hmm. And there were even people in the industry that were like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, but then like the people on Twitter, I'm like, do you understand a how these rankings are made b this is not bob's opinion c if these rankings alone don't tell you everything you need to know about what needs to change in hockey i don't know what to tell you because you are expecting the 200 hockey men to be as open-minded as the person on twitter who studies both math and hockey and likes to marry the two that's just not going to happen. So lower your expectations, please, just for the health, your own health. But like, for me, people just going absolutely apoplectic. And my personal favorite of the entire thing is people going nuts on Twitter when they have seen one highlight video and two World Junior games. And all of a sudden, you are more qualified to make an opinion of Thank you. a player that, than me that's my, or like, biggest a scout. <laughs> That is my like, biggest gripe with like the entire scouting process on Twitter and on our is- Instagram and everywhere else. Like you see in our comments, we posted multiple mock drafts and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really, I don't have any really strong opinions about any prospects because I can honestly say I've not watched nearly as much of them as any of the scouts have that have ranked them. I've watched enough of Marco Rossi, I think, to know that he shouldn't be 18th or wherever he was. But have you watched speaking, more? Have you watched him play more than five times? Yes. So okay. Well, there you go. It's but like, fair people to say like, that. I saw his YouTube highlight video. I'm like, you actual idiot. You like, as soon as you say, I watched him play at the World Juniors, I immediately don't care what you have to say. Because if you haven't watched him play outside of a single tournament, that's where, like, even scout, they're like, well, he didn't or did play well at the World Juniors. That's one tournament in an entire season, plus, like, if you're an NHL scout, it's really two or three seasons of work. Like you're taking one mm. single tournament, a group of seven games over like a hundred viewings. Are you crazy? So I think yeah, for Ty. me, like I'm just calling a... him out because he says Byfield was bad, no, and then no, he always no, no, uses no, no, the no, world no, juniors no, as Nick no, 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 and no, I rip no, on him for it no, constantly. No, no. Do not offend hey. Quentin Byfield. He's my hey. brother's friend. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Listen, I I do have a bit of a rebuttal to that though, right? It's like, um, the the world juniors though. I think that is valuable though because you're playing against sort of top competition not to downplay the rest of the ohl that that you know players might be playing against the rest of junior teams but um you're you're playing against the top of the top of your age group right and so that's why i kind of value those games a little bit more i know you just kind of shit on it but (laughs) it's okay to value them more but it's not okay to say i only saw him play at the world juniors and this is my opinion like that to me, I'm like, what? What do you even like? It's you absolutely have to value the the games where they're playing against their peers. But mm-hmm. to like, let's say you have a player um, who has 125 points in the OHL in his draft year. Let's just say, and only had three points at the World Juniors. Are we all of a sudden like, no, he's not good? Like that's probably not a great analysis of that player you absolutely should say okay like i have some concerns as to why this player didn't show well at the world juniors but then when you look at the sample size of a season or two if this isn't a pattern then you probably can overlook five games that this kid played over the span of two seasons so i think it's one of those things where yes you should value it but it shouldn't be the be all end all of your analysis so like when i see someone on twitter be like well against slovakia this player did this i'm like <laughs> okay thank you for telling me that like yeah that's kind of what i would say so getting into bob's rankings then i guess what were the other than marco rossi i think we've already been on that what were kind of the biggest surprises to you like the guys that were way too high in your opinion Oh, goodness. I'm going to have to, like, look up his rankings. Um, There were a couple where I was like, oh, really? Um, Will Cully 
ahead of John Luke Foodie. Um, Will Cully's like a don't draft for me, so that's a no. Um, <laughs> Donovan Sabrango in the second round, also absolutely not. Um, Ty Tulio at 80. I have him in the mid 30s, so oh, wow. I would disagree difference. with that one. Yarmir Pitlick anywhere before the fifth round is I pfft, that's the most hockey man thing ever. Um, because that's just making a safe pick. Um, I they have love a, the a, safe a, picks, eh? They love the big boys that uh, <laughs> yeah, like safe. I I like Tim Stutzler. Don't get me wrong, like I'm a German, so like obviously we love that content. Um mm-hmm. at two is egregious. Um, yeah, so that's what I wanted to get into because I find that the most interesting because there's a clear, there's clearly a major difference in the perception of Stutzel between elite prospects rankings where you, I think you guys had them at eight or nine and and Bob we McKenzie's where he was at two, yeah eight so and then McKenzie's where he's on two right so that's a quite a large difference when you're talking about you know how everyone thought. Or, even going back like two months ago, that it was kind of Lafreniere one and Byfield two, and then kind of then you know the next tier of players with Raymond and Drysdale and Holtz and all the rest of those guys. So can you kind of run us run us through why Stetzel kind of fell so far in uh, in your guys' rankings compared to and what kind of the misconception is with all these other scouts and what they're seeing? Okay, so he's like the shiny toy. <laughs> is what I'll say. He is dynamic. There's a lot to like. I have huge concerns about how translatable his game is at the NHL level. He plays on the outside. He purposely does not attack the middle of the ice, which in the NHL we all know is not going to work. Um, he overhandles the puck, so he's always turning it over. Like He, he treats... Very much like Antonio Strange's, except much better. He treats the real game like it's a video game, which I find to be extremely concerning. Um, I fun to watch. Also, though. He, he's he's very fun to watch. He just doesn't attack the middle of the ice often enough, which makes him far too predictable, in my opinion. Um, and I find that he gives away his shot or his pass, like he gives away what he's going to do way too easily. Um, If you read Jack Hand's book, he talks about how you need to attack the difference between attacking in the A-frame position versus like somebody like Matthew Barzell who attacks while moving. Every Mm -hmm. single time Stutzel attacks a defender, he stops moving his feet. One of his um, like toes kind of comes up like he raises one of his feet um, and you can immediately tell like he's lost all his speed and now he's just looking to stick handle. And someone of that talent is going to be playing against top-pairing defensemen, and that shit's just not going to cut it. Like, you (laughs) absolutely will not be getting around Roman Yossi with that nonsense. So, do I absolutely think he's talented? There is no question. He might be the most skilled player in this draft. I just don't know if how he uses those skills will lead him to success in the NHL. I hope it does. I think it'd be great for German hockey to have Dreisaitl and Stutzla as stars in the NHL. But if he is not willing to attack the interior of the ice and his problem solving is just not there, for me, like he has issues identifying the problem and then his decision making on top of that is a concern for me. I think that that is a huge issue um, in terms of his development. Wow. Okay. So, um, so that's actually really interesting because I think a lot of the weaknesses that you just talked about apply really well in the opposite sense to Lucas Raymond, who has all the, when you talk about thinking the game really well, when you talked about his problem solving abilities, Lucas Raymond's kind of been raved about for, about that for among like many different scouts that I've uh, read and all the, you know, different analysis videos that they've been posting up about him over the last a uh, couple months, basically. So uh, just to get away from that, I kind of wanted to get into the rankings now. So obviously, starting off with number one, we have Alexis Lafreniere. So I think everyone kind of knows about him at this point, but can you break down both the strengths of his game and, you know, whatever weaknesses that you can find in his game, kind of? Because I personally, I don't know of any weaknesses that he has, so that would be kind of interesting to hear, I think. Um. Okay, so he's far and away... Um 
to me the the best player right now in this draft. Like I cannot see a justification for taking anybody other than Alexi Lafreniere at number one. It just like anything, if anyone tells you anything else, it's fabricated. Like it's, they're (laughs) overthinking it. Um, He's versatile. He's deceptive. I mean, he's physical. Like if you need him to be a power forward, he could be a power forward. You need him to make skill plays. I just watched the world juniors. Like it was every (laughs) single time. Um, His ability to, have this map of the ice in his head and be able to make decisions based on where everyone else is offensively and defensively to me is absolutely terrific because he uses his body language and his eyes to create space for other players and that is something that like Mitch Marner does that mm-hmm. and anyone who's a Leafs fan knows like oh that's pretty good um <laughs> he times himself really well to arrive in the dangerous areas. So a lot of times um, if a player's in the dangerous area, but the puck's not getting to them, it's likely because their timing's off or their ability to read the play isn't necessarily as high. Lafreniere has this knack to just show up and right as the puck's coming and boom, it's a, it's a scoring chance. It's like, he's not there. So no one's covering him. And then all of a sudden the puck's there and oh my goodness, he's there too. Um, so I would say like, those are his preeminent um, strengths. And if you watch Ramuski, um, he basically like doesn't have to play defense because he is always like his four check um, when his team doesn't have the puck usually causes a turnover. He's the focal point of like all of Ramuski's breakouts. He's, he's just so good. I would say like, if there, if there's a weakness, it's he's, I would say he's an average skater. Um, so like he won't catch D off guard with his mm-hmm. speed and transition. Um, and his balance is not quite where I think it could be. But to me, like he has like both of those things are ab- among the most fixable, developable things about a player. So to me, like there is no reason why he can't be um, an absolute superstar in this league. He's one of those guys where I could see, we always talk about um, forwards, like to be a superstar, you have to be a center unless your name is like Alex Ovechkin. I -hmm. think that he has the, the power to be a superstar from the wing. So sorry, Martin, were you about to say something? Nope. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to say just a a side. It looks like when he's playing in, in the QMJHL, it looks like it's too easy for him there almost. Right. It's, it's it's insane how good he is. Yeah, and like you don't get named CHL Player of the Year uh, two years in a row going into your draft year, <laughs> like for no good reason. And it yeah. honestly looks like he's just toying with people out there. It's it's yep. it's very reminiscent of when Crosby was in Ramuski. It's it's basically like he does what whatever he wants to do, he's going to do it, and it's just that simple. So where do you think he ranks among recent first overall picks? So obviously, I think a couple of years ago, people were comparing him more to the Crosby-McDavid tier, but I think people have come down a little bit in their perception of him, and they've kind of put him in the Matthews-Eichel kind of tier. Okay, so I will say this. Yeah. I completely agree with Craig Button's assessment um, of where Alexi Lafreniere ranks. First of all, Jack Eichel wasn't even... Jack Eichel is not as good as Austin Matthews. I like. Yeah. I, he's a very good hockey player. He's not Austin Matthews. Completely agree. <laughs> um, I have Lafreniere behind McDavid, McKinnon, and Matthews. I think he okay. is ahead of Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, he's certainly, and I don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Nico Heischer. He is ahead of Nico Heischer. He is ahead of Jack Hughes. Um, so I would have him just behind um, McDavid, Matthews and McKinnon because I think those three players are at a different level very clearly yeah I completely agree I think that's where I think where most people kind of have Lafreniere right now so I think you you hit it right on the spot there so going to number two on uh elite prospects top uh top 10 uh Quinn Byfield so can you uh break down a little bit of Quinn Byfield for us I know Ty doesn't have him number two but I think you know, I think the vast majority. You're of people, a silly goose tie. 
Sorry. <laughs> he has Marco Rossi number two. So okay, you know what? All right. <laughs> Listen, um, uh, you go ahead first. I'm not the important one here. You go ahead. You don't want to hear my thoughts. Right, yeah, I am going to have a very deep dive into Quinton Byfield coming at some point this summer, and um, I don't want to give away too much of it because okay, I, I have the luxury of, um. I've known Byfield for probably five or six years now. And oh, not wow. only have I seen him play, I know his minor hockey coaches. Um, I've seen him play road hockey. Like it's, it's one of those things where I also know the person. Um, mm-hmm. So I might be a bit overcritical, but I also ha- have the ability to talk to some people that um, know him very well and can break down strengths and weaknesses. So I would say, in terms of um, how he plays, he is the exact opposite of Tim Stutzla. He is always <laughs> in the middle, almost to a well, I would say to a fault. Um, and mm. and I'll I'll break that down. But I think he he spends too much time purposely attacking players as opposed to attacking the space that he creates for himself and his teammates. And I think once he figures out how to attack the space, he is going to be a superstar in this league um so like one-on-one i think in the ohl he's just a man amongst boys so it's hard to see um mm. what will translate um but his play in traffic like he's got quick hands he has an ability um to see like the next step and and to draw three or four players to him so that his teammates are open i would say that his off puck play leaves um, a lot to be desired right now and I honestly truly think that's because he's playing in a league where he doesn't have to have off puck play because he always has the puck so it's very difficult like if you told me okay well you're always gonna have the puck well then like why the heck would I care about my off puck play but I think in the NHL that's obviously not going to be the case because yeah. no one has the puck that much in the <clears throat> NHL um, and you cannot do whatever you want unless your name's Connor McDavid and like maybe Sidney Crosby now. But like to me, that needs to improve. But I mean, he's big, he's physical, he supports the puck really well. Um, I don't love him in transition, but once he gets into the offensive zone, especially like at the net front, his hands, he is going to score a ton of goals by just going to the net because he's big, he could push people around. And I, I think I might see him more of a winger in the NHL than anything. Really? Um, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I, just because of the transition play. Um, but I see him as probably a, a, an 85 to 90 point player at some point, like consistently in his career. So do you see him in the NHL next season? Because I know there's a huge amount of debate that I've seen on Twitter anyways. <laughs> I don't know how relevant that is, but on whether Byfield should be in the NHL this year, if he should go to Europe, if like there's all this different talk about what he should be doing. So what do you what where do you think is the best situation for him to develop as a player? Okay, so what I think will happen is that he will play in the NHL. It is my firm belief that he is far too good for the OHL and will not develop there. And so mm-hmm. he does need to go play in Europe. I think that going to play in Sweden uh, or in Switzerland like Matthews did in his draft year, I think would be extremely beneficial for him because then he could learn to develop that off puck play and creating space when he doesn't have the puck. And I think that that's going to be super important. I think rushing him in the NHL, just because the team that drafts him, like, let's face it, if Ottawa gets him, if, Oh God forbid New Jersey gets him. Like he's going right to the NHL. If New Jersey gets another first overall pick, I'm going to lose it. No, I don't. If New Jersey gets first overall and takes Lafreniere, like be my guest. If Byfield goes to New Jersey, I'm going to be forced to support that, like his success because of the personal connection. And I just, I don't have that stomach right now. Um, So for me, like it really depends on what team gets him. His ideal, ideal situation is that a team that's sort of in the 16, 17 or like in the playoff-ish range, like a bubble team, wins the lottery by some crazy um, chance and doesn't need him immediately and can send him to Europe because I think that's what's best for his development. But I think in, in all likelihood, he, uh, he ends up in the NHL and I think that it's, it's, it'll be detrimental. 
even if he gets to a you know, he ends up on a, one of the bubble teams. I'm pretty sure he ends up in the NHL regardless, right? It's very rare for teams to send guys like Byfield over to Europe. I think they let... Pre- it's pretty yeah, much You would have experience in this, yeah. right? Yeah, it never happens. And I think they prefer having him under team control, so to speak, where they can kind of develop him themselves. But they um, can't but once I- he's in the OHL, right? Yeah. The OHL is... Yeah. Is, is far too easy for him. It would be like sending Lafreniere back to the queue, as Ty said. Yeah, it, it, it would be like, ridiculous. Really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on from Byfield now, uh, moving to number three, Lucas Raymond. Uh, you mentioned that you didn't scout much of the SHL or anything like that. You focused mainly on the OHL. But do you have um, a lot to say about Lucas Raymond? or? Um... Uh, like, I, I've watched our top 30 pretty much. Um mm-hmm. I I really like Lucas Raymond. Um he is like explosive. Um like his first his first few strides to get up to speed. Um like the acceleration is incredible. His top speed is not elite by any stretch, but his ability to break away is very good. Um I find that he's I find defensemen have a hard time reading him because he's so deceptive. So he uses his gears really well. Um, and to me, like, that's more effective than just being extremely fast. Um, mm-hmm. So I really like that. Um, I would say, like, he handles the puck at high speed as well as probably anybody in this draft. Like, he has – there's never always oh, going too fast, he's going to lose control, or it's easy to take the puck off of him when he's going fast. He's fantastic handler of the puck. So for me, like, he's, he's so creative with his hands that um, – when you mix that with his skating um, and his ability to pass the puck um, very creatively, it's like, it's, it's a pretty solid toolbox. I would say Um, his wrist shot is accurate as hell. And he needs very little time to get it off. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say like weaknesses he lacks strength. So like, he's not afraid to be, to get in there like Marco Rossi does, or um, Tim Stutzla doesn't really like to do that. Whereas Lucas Raymond, he's not afraid to get right in there and um, be a part of the battle. He just lacks the strength to actually win those battles, but the willingness to go there is a, is a positive for me. Um, I think his defensive game, it, it needs to improve, but realistically like what prospects defensive game doesn't need to improve. Um, <laughs> And I think that he needs to become a better transition player. But other than that, like he has another, he's again, this could be a solid top line player. So, so with him too, I think a lot, there's been a lot of talk with him as well, similar to Byfield about where he ends up next year. Do you think it's best for him to stay in the SHL for another year and then come into the NHL kind of a year later? Uh, Yeah. Cause I think he'll continue to develop his two way game, which for him is going to be super important. Um, but he needs to have a bigger role. So he didn't have, um, mm-hmm. and our Swedish scout, Christopher said this, like his role, because he's playing against men in the SHL, like it wasn't as big as somebody like Lafreniere or Byfield's role. Um, but it needs to be bigger next year so that he can develop. He's got to add that strength, but if he can continue to develop, um, a two way game, like I think he, he realistically, uh, would probably be ready for the NHL, like not this coming season, but next year. And sorry, Ty, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I wasn't going to say anything. I just, I'm just really excited to get to Marco Rossi. That's all. <laughs> he's, he's like, Come on, let's go. He's, okay, so getting, to, we'll get to Marco Rossi now, just for you, Ty. Um, so you were obviously just like you just meant. I liked what you just said earlier about how Marco Rossi he likes to get into the dirty areas. He likes to. He plays a really tough game for a kid that's. I want to say he's five nine. Um, yeah, he's five nine. He I feel he like that's play generous. Like it, right? because yeah. <laughs> when he, when he's out there he doesn't look whatever regardless uh he's kind of like a little bit of a pit bull out there and so i like the way so i think i don't think he plays the game the way most people would think a five nine player would play so give us a little bit about your breakdown and then i want to hear a little bit from ty as well because i know he, <laughs> he he's a big fan himself um i i love marco rossi i think that he's made uh, the decision to go play in europe next year and i think that that's the right decision for him um to me like watching marco rossi play like he's my type of player i don't like 
I don't really care how tall you are. Can you get the job done? <laughs> yes or no? All right, moving along. And so for me, like he wins battles all over the ice. There was a few times this year where like he went underneath a guy and just like flipped him right over, took the puck and left. And so for <laughs> me, his body size really isn't that big of a deal. And we've seen smaller players succeed. Look at Martin St. Louis and Tyler Johnson and Johnny Gaudreau. Like, I don't think that that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's a playmaker first, I would say. Like, he plays, he picks apart defensive coverages like it's some type of walk in the park. Um, So for me, like, that's going to continue at the next level. His ability to pass the puck and find seams, um, I think, is completely translatable. um, Because he has this ability to make everybody around him dangerous. And so no matter who he plays with, he's going to make them better. And to me, like, not only are you good, but then you're making the rest of your line good. And that speaks volumes. And so like, not only does he have great hands in front of the net and he can read the play and make pass, but then like I went to a game in Oshawa and he's on the penalty kill and he just like stole the puck uh, right off a player's stick, streaked down the wing and just short side bar down from the circle. And I was like, what? I, it was unbelievable and the replay board wasn't working and I wanted to see a replay. So I came home and I pulled up the video and watched it again. And I'm like, Holy crap. So not only can he make others around him better, he single-handedly can strip a guy of the puck, skate down the wing and put a laser beam right by the goalie's head. It's, it's unbelievable. So to me, I know that Bob McKenzie, I think had him at like eight or nine if a team gets him at eight or nine, just like, yeah, he was seven up, on like, you're rankings. good. You got value in the same way that if a team gets five field at three, you could just pack up and leave. Like the value <laughs> you get at from those players in those spots is unbelievable. So explain to me now why Marco Rossi is not better than Quinn Byfield. And more importantly, it's because it's a tie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Okay, well, hang on. Why do you think that Rossi is better okay. than Byfield? You're really not going to like my answer here. Okay. So, okay. If he said because I... of the World Juniors, I am losing. Oh, okay. He's going to say it. He's... No, no, okay. That might be a little bit of the reason why, okay? But but um, I will say this, okay? I haven't... Okay, no need to face palm right there, okay? Um <laughs> So I haven't had a lot of time to do scouting, right? I just started a job this past year, but um, my roommate, who I, I talk about a lot on this podcast, my roommate, Adam, um, has done scouting and he put Marco Rossi at number two and I trust that guy with my life. So I have been preaching it as well. Is that a good answer? that's not the best it's certainly not the worst rationale that i've ever heard but it's not the best okay um okay so here's what i would say you're drafting um you're drafting for potential right so um you're drafting you're taking swings on players and realistically you should be taking the player that you think is not the best today but is going to be the best 10 years from now, is going to have the best career. So for me, I guess I am more convinced that Byfield is going to have the better career than Marco Rossi. I think that Marco Rossi is going to have an excellent career. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, Unless some team that drafts him doesn't believe in players that are small, which then why the hell are you drafting him? Um, but for me, I think that Byfield's ceiling is higher than Rossi's. Mm-hmm. And so that would be why I take him uh, ahead of Rossi. But I, I really don't think that... Um, listen, if you get to four or five or six and Marco Rossi's still there, then like virtually sprint to the stage <laughs> because he shouldn't be there. <laughs> and I cannot wait for like October or whatever the draft is. And he's going to fall to like nine and Ty is going to be tearing his hair out. I'm going to yeah. be yelling at the TV. <laughs> like I know some scouts that have Rossi at three and they think that it's the gap between Byfield and Rossi is closer than the gap between um, Lafreniere and 
Byfield. And then there are some people that have Byfield at one that I know about. And so it's one of those things where I think that Byfield and Rossi are are close, but I give the edge to Byfield because I think he's got the higher ceiling and um, probably the easier path to achieve it. So what do you think Rossi's biggest weakness is? Because I've read so many different scouting reports on Rossi, and the only conclusion that I can come to from any scout that I've read as to what his weaknesses are revolve around he's not big and that's it basically. That's all that's all I could come, that's all I could kind of read up on. I, I don't know. I haven't read everything, obviously, but is there anything right. else that you can think of that doesn't revolve around, oh, he's small and his game might not work out in the next level because of it? Um, yeah, like, I don't really see that being an issue. Um, like, I really don't have a ton of complaints about Marco Rossi. I find, like, okay, his he's inconsistent sometimes, which I can't stand but all young players are inconsistent um but there are definitely i would say there are definitely things that he does in the ohl that he will not be able to do in the nhl he's not going to be flipping zidane ochera that i can assure you so (laughs) i would be entertaining to see that (laughs) i would pay five grand um i think that he's going to have to adjust how he attacks and how he battles for pucks Mm. um I also see him playing on the wing in the NHL. Like I, I don't see him playing at center. Um, and so just cause I don't think that a team is going to want to put somebody that's five, nine at center. I'm not saying that that's not where he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he's going to have to adjust how he um, uses his body for things like puck protection and deception, because um, he will be playing against people that are extremely strong. Like I've seen some, I see guys that come from the OHL all the time. And quite frankly, I'm bigger than some of them. So it's very easy to throw someone around when they're small, but there's not a lot of that in the NHL, if any. Um, So I think he's going to have to make a little bit of an adjustment in the same way that Byfield will um, in terms of how he plays. And I think that it may take him a couple of years to really hit that potential. So, Moving on, actually, no, one quick thing. So this is really interesting now because we've gone over the top four forwards in the draft so far. Two of them are centers in the OHL right now, and both, you've said, are probably going to be wingers, right? Yeah, I would say, like, if Detroit drafts Byfield, then he probably plays at center. Okay, so so you think it kind of depends on the team that he goes to and... Okay. Right. right. So example, perfect prime example. If New Jersey gets Byfield, they don't (laughs) need him to play at center. They have Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. He's going on Mm. the wing. That's that. They have Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, and Pavel Zaka. And that's just it. Like, he's playing on the wing. Right? Mm. I think Marco Rossi, no NHL coach right now, is prepared and willing to let him play center. Okay. That makes sense. So moving on to number five, then in the elite prospects ranking, we have Jamie Drysdale. So I think what's happened over the last month or so has been complete. This is completely came completely out of nowhere for me, where all of a sudden Jake Sanderson's kind of popped up in the conversation with Jamie Drysdale as being arguably the best defenseman in the draft. So I haven't watched Jake Sanderson enough at all to make any conclusion on whether that's true or not. But can we kind of break both of them down at the same time and talk a little bit about both their games? Because I think, you know, he Drysdale's rate, uh, rate ranked number five on uh, their list and then number and Jake Sanderson's at number nine. So they're very, they're relatively close. And I have seen a bunch of people put Sanderson ahead of Drysdale. So what are your thoughts on all that? Um, So like I've seen a ton more of Drysdale than I have of Sanderson. What I will say is, um, Sanderson's development this season has been shocking. Um, he was basically kind of like seen as a late round guy in September. And when I watched him earlier in the season, I was not impressed. Um, and then I watched a a few games from relatively recently and, uh, yeah, impressive. Um, so to me, that development, um, speaks volumes because that shows that that player has the ability to, um, take criticism and uh, take learning things and actually um, apply them in practice and in play. And I think that that's extremely valuable because now you have an idea of how this player thinks and how they develop. So you know, okay, we, we can develop this player. 
Um, Jamie Drysdale's ceiling is higher. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both have the ability to be top pairing defensemen. I think that Sanderson's more of like the minute eating can provide, like provide some offense kind of thing. Whereas Drysdale's like, I'm going to run your power play and I'm going to score a bunch of goals and I'm going to break the puck out with ease. It's, it's, he's so dynamic. Although some, like I question his decision-making sometimes. And I think that's probably because a, how eerie does things and B, um, there, there are times where he wants to make his life difficult. Um, uh, like trying to make things <laughs> he needs difficult. to challenge himself. <laughs> yes. Um, I think like, the skating and agility is a strength for both of them, um, which is why I think they'll be premier defensemen in the NHL. Um, but it's it's one of those things where um, Jamie Drysdale just, to me, has the higher ceiling. And Jake Sanderson's wrist shot is very good. Like, he gets the puck through, um, I think, at one of the highest rates in our data set. But he also doesn't shoot the puck a ton, which um, I personally don't like. Um but there's a ton to like about Sanderson, including his gap control, um, which is very difficult um, to teach. You got to break a player of that habit. So the fact that he already has excellent gap control is is really good in my eyes. Um, but to me, like I have Drysdale ahead. Um, mm. And I think the gap is def- it's clearly closed. Um I don't think you can go wrong taking either one of these players. I think it will just come down to whatever team is drafting where, what they want. So if you have a premier offensive defenseman, okay, so Vancouver, let's say Mm -hmm. Vancouver, and you're drafting, let's say you're drafting seven and both of those defensemen are on the board, you have Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. So then, you know what? Yeah, like I might take Jake Sanderson because if the difference is negligible in your eyes, you already have use right so then that's sort of where it it becomes a debate um but i think that it's it's perfectly acceptable to like either defenseman um just depending on how you value different things i've seen in some i've seen sorry i've seen in some like um mock draft that sanderson's as high as like three right yeah those people are nuts yeah that's crazy (laughs) Um, that's i know yeah stop that (laughs) i have a quick question for you um Drysdale's right-handed defenseman, Sanderson's a left-handed defenseman. So let's say you flip their handedness, right? Would that change yep. your opinion a little bit? No. I Are right-handed defensemen more valuable? Yes, absolutely they are. Um, to me, anybody that has, we just like kind of similar with Rossi and Byfield. Um, the ceiling for me is very, very important. It is much easier, as someone who develops um, hockey players, it is much easier to teach someone how to defend than it is to teach them how to have offensive instincts. Much, much easier. I can't poof a power play quarterback out of thin air. I can teach pretty much anybody how to have good gap control. Right? And I'm not saying that that's like the premier difference, (laughs) but to me, the combination of being right-handed and having the higher ceiling in my eyes is what gives Drysdale the edge. I don't think you could teach me good gap control, though. <laughs> you are not a top 10 NHL, bro. <laughs> sorry, sorry to break it to you, Ty. Damn. But I was in house league until I was 16. There were any scouts uh, watching? Well, nevertheless. No? <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to number six, then. Uh, we have Alexander Holtz. So I think... Most people consider Holtz probably one, probably going to be the best goal scorer in the draft. I think most people think he has. It'll be Holtz or uh, Perfetti. Yeah, so I think that's kind of the consensus right now. So, what do you think? Because Perfetti's obviously seven. So, what do you think are the major differences between Holtz and Perfetti, and why Holtz is why Holtz is above him in your guys' rankings? Uh, Holtz is a better skater. That is the difference. Um, Perfetti <laughs> is smarter. Um, Perfetti is for my money, the smartest player in this draft. And that is why Craig Button gave him a six out of five for hockey sense. (laughs) His ability to see things is, it reminds me very much of Mitch Marner and uh, like 
you see one thing, you're like, oh, like, make that play. And then he doesn't. You're like, dang, like, you should have made that play. And then all of a sudden, he makes this other play. And you're like, holy crap, I didn't even see that. And so it's <laughs> one of those things. He doesn't make the play. He makes the better play. And it's on the flip side as well, where um, he is able to, even though he's not a very good skater um, in comparison to the rest of the draft, he's able to read the play so well that he just knows where to be. And as soon as the puck is on his stick, it is basically in the back of the net. Um, But the difference between him and Holtz is the skating. Um, Because for my money, like I think they'll both, they'll be the premier goal scorers of this draft. Um, But Holtz's ability to attack off the rush and, um, to use his skating is is better. Like, it, it it just is. So he's a more well-rounded package, whereas Perfetti coming into this year was just seen as a goal scorer. And now he's got this well-rounded package of being able to distribute the puck as well. It's just the skating, is it's a concern. It really is. And so that's sort of why we have them six and seven. Okay, perfect. So... Obviously, we went over Tim Stutzel already, who's who's at eight. Um, so, and we went through Jake Sanderson at nine. So, the last one, uh, number ten on on the list, is Anton Lindell, who um, is the only center, I guess, in the top ten that you consider, unless Byfield ends up on um, Ottawa or Detroit, a team that needs. Yeah, basically. So, can you run us through his game a little bit? Yeah. So, um, I haven't seen a ton of Lindell, but I've talked to our Finnish scout. And um, he has seen Anton Lundell play more than, like, I have watched NHL hockey. This, Like, I think he has seen every, every game Lundell has played. So I'm just going to, like, trust his assessment and then the few games that I have seen. Um, so he will play center, like, unequivocally, absolutely. Um, his skating lacks, like he is a decent skater, but it lacks agility. So um, one of the mm-hmm. things I actually study in school is, or like learned about is um, different things that have to do with biomechanics. So he doesn't have proper extension of his legs um, when he skates and that impedes his ability to generate power. Um, that's fixable. That's like you call up Barb Underhill or Don Braid and it's fixed. Um, he's, he's not slow once he gets going, but he's not explosive in the same way that like Lucas Raymond is kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, he's not super dynamic. Um, so like Tim Stutzel is dynamic, right? Whereas Lundell is, is not that dynamic. Um, he can lose control in full speed, but, um, he, to, for my money is the best defensive uh, player in this like in this draft um off, off the puck like supports his teammates is always a passing option um he drives the net so that he draws pressure creates space for his teammates um I would say like in his own zone it's very rarely that he doesn't get the puck out he ties forwards up in front of the net he takes away passing options he see like he sees lanes and unlike most of the other premier draft prospects in the top 10 he doesn't cheat and that is a habit that drives NHL coaches absolutely up the wall. So the fact that he doesn't have that, um, it works in his favor. Uh, he's big, like he's physically mature. He's got a good frame um, and he doesn't get out battled. So to me, like I have no reservations of his ability to play center in the NHL because I think that um, his ability to read the play, be in the right places, have good habits. It's all already there. Like it's a very good foundation. Um, His ceiling though, I think he's got, I think he's underrated. Um, I don't know if he has enough offense to be a star in the NHL, but I absolutely um, like, he's very methodical with how he plays. And if he can improve his shot, I think he could be one of those like scoring second line centers that you can rely on to, to also shut down the other team. Like, Obviously, this is lofty comparison, but like Patrice Bergeron is tasked with shutting other teams down, but also to score. Mm-hmm. I think it's that, but the light version. Like, I by no means do I think he's Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. So, do you think he's the most NHL ready prospect out of this draft? Because I know a lot of people have kind of been 
have been saying that among you know they, that he could basically step into the NHL next year. He's kind of ready. I think a lot of people made the comparison to Kotkaniemi, who was drafted by Montreal. Uh, he was not ready and should ago, not have now. stepped into the NHL. Yeah. So re- regardless, <laughs> he still stepped into the NHL. It was silly. And he, he, and <laughs> he did pro- he he was okay like he had an okay rookie season by any means obviously he was in, he went in too early and he didn't get to develop the other sk- aspects of his game that he needed to become a more effective and now NHL he's back player. in the NHL yep <laughs> so do you, so obviously it's one thing to say oh no he shouldn't come to the NHL because uh he needs to develop other aspects of his game but on the other hand, you could say he he does need to do that, but at the same time, he is one of the few prospects right now that can step into the NHL and do a fine job as is. Um, I would say Lafreniere is the most NHL ready prospect. I think. Sorry, that that, excluding that's a, Lafreniere. Yeah, I was going to say like that's a category <laughs> by clar- itself. I should have clarified. <laughs> um, yes, I do believe Lundell uh, could play in the NHL next year, probably like in a third line role. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair he could go to a team that doesn't necessarily need him in that second line role right away. And so um, with Lundell, I think that it actually would benefit him to play over here. So if he doesn't play in the NHL, I think he needs to play in the AHL sort of like Martin Kaut did. Um, He's a much better player than Martin Kaut. Please like don't read into that comparison. Um, But I do think that given the right situation, he could step in and play in the NHL. Okay, so perfect. So that was our the top 10 for elite prospects now. So that's the end of this episode. And then we're so for, next we're going to get into the bottom 30. I don't think we're going to cover all of them as in depth as we did with this top 10 because we're already an hour in, but this is going to be the next week's episode. So Luke's going to cut it right here, I think, and put our little outro and ads and everything like that. Uh, do you want to break or do you want to just keep going? All right, let's just keep going. Thank you everyone so much for tuning into this week's episode of Talking Hockey. You can follow us and stream us on Spotify and Apple and anywhere else that podcasts are available. Please leave a rating and review on Apple as it does a lot for the podcast and share our podcast with your friends. And post clips on Instagram and tag us on it for a repost. You know, we're always looking to grow our podcast. If there's anyone that you think we should talk to or any other podcast that you think we should collaborate with, please let us know. We're always willing to uh, open up our audience and, and try to expand. You can follow us on Instagram at Talking Hockey, and you can also find us on Twitter, which will be linked in the description below. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I look forward to uh, next week's episode.